welcome to Not Enough Bones. This is a gaming podcast about too many bones and everything else Chip Theory Games has cooking. My name is John. I'll be your host today, and I'm joined by my lovely co-host, David, here on this uh, bright and early morning. David, tell the people uh, how you're feeling. <laughs> Whatever that, like, <laughs> the the horn noise. Yeah, I'm doing great. Doing great. I am I am energized, David. I'm super excited for us to record today. We've got some really cool topics. We've got some fun recent plays to talk about, but we're also going to be cracking open our top 50 games of all time. So the next few episodes, we're going to be taking those by tens, going through our top 50 list. We've spent some time aggregating those, thinking about those. You've actually posted yours out to Board Game Geek. I'm a little behind on doing mine, so a little plug for that. Um, so super excited to get into today's episode, but... Um, before we jump into our top fifty list, let's catch up on uh, some of the recent plays we we've gotten through the holidays. So often, yeah, John, with maybe... how was uh how was your Christmas, bud? How how'd everything go? My my Christmas was uh good and rough at the same time. So I got COVID um right uh the day before Christmas and was pretty knocked out almost the whole week. And my birthday's right after Christmas. So uh, for both Christmas and my birthday, I was a little uh you know couch couch way laid but um watched the movies my wife was very kind played some games with me as well um but wasn't feeling great back on the men now so that's good but overall just enjoyed a slow week not having to work and uh being able to hang out and just chill how about you did you travel at all yeah we went to new jersey for a few days um and that was exciting to see my family up there oh really it's my wife's family but they're my family too now right so um so that was fun. Got to play a lot of games and came back to Danville and rang in the new year over here. And then here pretty soon, going to be traveling again over to uh, Memphis. As a matter of fact, when do you leave for Nashville? I am leaving Tuesday night of okay. next week. Okay. Yeah. I should be in Johnson City Wednesday night and then traveling with uh, Jacob and his lovely wife, Sage, Thursday morning. Yeah. So one of our good friends is getting married in uh, in Memphis at the end of next week. So the gang's all getting back together. Uh, we've all got we got an Airbnb that we're staying at. So I'm sure there'll be some board games. Super excited for that. And it's going to be great to see you in person because I don't get to do that enough. Yeah, we might get to eat lunch at Room 40. So I'm really excited for that, too. So oh, yeah. Yeah, you never you never know. You never know. But anyways, uh, John, tell me about uh, some of your recent plays that you've had. Yeah, so um, I did get in a, a big session of, of Too Many Bones with some friends, and I'll get to that in a minute, but um, I did want to highlight, I did get the chance to play a game I've been really craving uh, to play recently, which is uh, Age of Innovation. I'll call it like a Terra Mystica game. I don't think Terra Mystica is in the title, um, but Age of Innovation is kind of an iteration or a, a building upon of the classic, really heavy Euro strategy game, Terra Mystica, um, adds kind of a, a way where you're building your own faction at the beginning of the game, as opposed to having preset factions, you're doing kind of a draft, um, which I think is really exciting. And then they add a few more mechanisms or things that you can interact with within the game that allow you to score outside of just the end game scoring in your faction board scoring, which I think also helps create play patterns that aren't repetitive. Um, one of my big, you know, I love Terra Mystica. It's right at the top of my, you know, top 100 list or, or whatever my rankings of games, but the one thing that as I've played it more and more, I noticed there's kind of some more predefined strategies, which is going to happen whenever a game is is as old as it is and as well round. Um, and I think innovation is really kind of a response to, hey, like we're going to make it so you're not going to have the same 
exact setup every single game if you're playing with this faction ability they may have a different terrain or you might have a different you know setup of these innovation tiles that can give you you know upwards of 18 plus points and you'll have the ability to kind of customize your strategy so i've only played it at five i've played it twice at five players i think i'd like to try it at four two maybe three see how that is i know they've made some changes for the lower player count game to hopefully make it a little more playable um because base termiska don't want to play that at a at a low player count um but really enjoy this one this is a super heavy game it's pretty pretty hefty but um i really enjoy it but yeah what about you did you get any i was just say i'm really looking forward i mean like Terramistica is a highly regarded game for for both of us in our group, so I'm really looking forward to playing mm-hmm. Age of Innovation at some at some point in time. Um, I do hear like maybe it goes a little bit longer than Terramistica, but I don't know if that's like just due to more to consider or first Being time new. players. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I could see how it would go further, just because it's it's the draft definitely adds time to set up, right? Because you you've got to set out the different faction abilities, terrain types, and your stronghold abilities that are all options to draft. So that's absolutely going to increase setup time. But once mm-hmm. you're playing the game, I'd say it probably plays in about the same amount of time, maybe okay. an extra few minutes per player because there are some other things you can interact with. So you might have an extra free action or two. Um, yeah. It doesn't feel like it's longer than Terramistica because Terramistica is also a long game. So you're talking about the difference between two hours and two hours and 20 minutes or something like that, um, mm-hmm. you know, at a high player count like we were playing. Nice. Yeah, nice. Cool. Um, yeah, I've gotten a, we got a lot of plays over the holidays. My sister, um, who's stationed in Hawaii, her and her fiance came and stayed with us for a couple of days. And so we got in a lot of games uh, with them, which was also nice. Uh, so just to highlight a, a few. Uh, so the first is the, the map pack for Ticket to Ride, UK and Pennsylvania. Shoo, John, have you played the Pennsylvania map? I've only ever played Ticket to Ride, and I think I've played Europe one time. Man, let me tell you, we played, I think I played the that map probably five times in the span of like a week. Because, you know, we're around family and you got to right. uh, teach them something that it's like they can like they can vibe with, they can handle, takes like two minutes to explain. And so I thought, well, you know, why don't we try this, this map? And um, it's so good because every time you claim a route, each route on the board has pre-printed different companies in whose shares you can invest in. So when you lay down a track, Mm -hmm. say there's five different companies that say, you know what, I want Erie, and you'll take an Erie share. And at the end of the game, not only do you, you know, so over the course of the game, you score points for the tracks that you've laid. Uh, At the end of the game, you score points for your destination tickets like normal. But at the end of the game, you also score points for whoever has majority shares in each company. And different companies are worth different uh, points. So for example, like the Pennsylvania Railroad uh, is worth 30 points for whoever has the most shares, but there's 15 shares. And so everybody's competing and, you know, some other companies only have eight shares. And so uh, just throughout the course of the game, it's, it's kind of this tension of like, do I diversify so that I'm at least, you know, competing in everything or do I specialize in a few so make sure I'm like, I'm first in those. And um, it's just, it's, it's very spicy. It's easier to get cut off in this map. The map is a little bit tighter than it is in like base ticket to ride. Uh, so really enjoyed that one. Um, love this this map and i'm excited to try the uk one we also yeah. uh, played zuvatis we played at four players and let me tell you 
uh, I don't know if it's because we were at the convention. I don't know if because our friend Matthew was pouty on turn one of the first game we played. I don't know if it's because I sent out the bat signal when we played with randos, uh, you know, some, some randos that second game. Uh, but this game of Zuvadis was electric. And then I also say that we played a second time. And boy, oh boy, is this game fragile. Holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah, because it's just a game. It is pure negotiation and... It is one of those few games, you know, one of the rare games where Reiner Knizia doesn't put up any guardrails and says like, hey, you want to do it? Do it. Whatever you want to, like, whatever deal you want to make. Mm-hmm. And so what that does is, unfortunately, in some aspects, you know, the game doesn't have anything that says like, yeah, you want to give all your points to another player to make X deal? Sure, go for it. Um, you know, like, right. There's nothing stopping. The only thing stopping that is like the player should inherently themselves want to win. But if if for whatever reason right. a player decides not to do that, the game can break. And so in our second game, we had a little bit of that um, going on. And uh, yeah, so I think it is it is a game of high highs and a game of very low lows. And yeah. I think the high highs make it worth it, especially like in a four, like in that four player game we had. I can't imagine with a fifth player it would have been even spicier. So, really enjoyed that, and looking forward to revisiting Zuvadis maybe with you guys because I think it takes a couple plays to to build a meta, and once you have that meta, it it, it can make things uh, a lot of fun. And you just have to be kind of loosey goosey with, you know, like sure. embodying that like hey, I'm not David in this game. In this game, I'm the armadillos, and like we're making deals, you know? So, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. And then um, I want to point out uh, one other game, and that is Mangrovia. Now, I sent you guys a picture of this game. Yeah. And have you ever heard of this game? I had not before you sent it. Yeah, I hadn't either until last year. I have spent the last year trying to find a copy, found one on Board Game Geek for really cheap, um, and that was really great. And it is basically like if, to me, it felt like if Royals and Ticket to Ride and maybe, oh, I don't know. I'll just say that. If, like if Royals and Ticket to Ride maybe had a baby, mm-hmm. um, there is no route building. And I don't know why it gives me that feel. Maybe because it's a little bit lightweight. But imagine a Ticket to Ride if you can build tracks. But in order to build tracks, every round, um, one player determined which color tracks can be built on. And if hmm. and in order to build the track, you have if you didn't have that color in your hand, like you couldn't build that track. That sounds really frustrating and ticket to ride. It works in this game. Uh, like it's it's just like it's very good, very good area majority game. Um, so really looking forward to like thematically. I had a hard time explaining this. Game. Like it's a very simple game, but there's no thematic rhyme or reason to this game at all whatsoever. Uh, you got birds. These birds that control what areas you can build in for some reason, uh, for whatever mm-hmm. reason, some spaces you want amulets and not goods. I don't know, but it was very good, and we played two back-to-back games in about an hour. Um, so really looking forward to showing you guys this game. Maybe we can get it played while we're in Memphis uh, this coming weekend. Love it. Yeah, that's one I'd love to check out. Um, you always are pretty good at finding these these random games. I don't know. Maybe it had mainstream posts at some time, but I had never heard of it. So I think you picked this one up at PAX. I think you saw. I thought. Uh, thought I saw. Yeah, it. No. Did you get that in the trade? No, I didn't. I uh, someone was selling a copy on Board Game Geek for like ten bucks, and I was like, mm-hmm. yes, immediate, send it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, really, really happy. And and Sam was really, she really enjoyed it. So that's always a plus whenever my wife enjoys whatever game put hey. out in front of her. Yep. So absolutely. You'll see that influence on my, my top mm-hmm. games for sure. a few, for sure. few picks for sure. But um, last thing we wanted to talk about before getting into that, um, I did get the chance to play uh, too many bones and not only play it, but teach it 
to some new friends in David. Uh, David, I got a text that just warmed my heart. So yes. I, uh, my wife is out of town at a, at a conference for work this week. And so I texted uh, my local friends here and said, hey, I'm going to be a bachelor, you know, Tuesday through through Thursday. If anyone wants to play some games, my place will be free. Would love to to hang out, right? I get a text like 30 minutes later from our good friend, Andrew, who's kind of recently joined our game group this last year. And he's like, John, I'd love if you want to teach me a Chip Theory Games game. And I was like... Andrew, I would love to do that. It would be my pleasure to have nice. too many bones set up on the table ready for you to go. And then I roped in my uh, my buddy Matthew as well, who's played, I think, twice um, since. Once with you uh, and me, kind of the first time I played. Or one and, and a half. Once again with, yeah, one and a half, call it. Um, and so I got it all set up. I was texting you and Jacob saying, Hey, what should I, you know, who, what tyrant should I have? So we went with, with Molmesh and, um, I was setting out, you know, the gear locks and I put them in two piles. I had, here's the complicated gear locks. Here's the one I'd recommend you starting at. So, um, really enjoyed. So we had a team of Gilly and Tantrum and Carcass to take on Molmesh and, um, I usually play just the adventure difficulty, right? So you start with a free health and a training point, um, which is, I think, usually my favorite way to play because I'm like, you're going to put your first training points into those stats anyway. So it's nice to kind of get them for, for free. Um, but we absolutely crushed it, David. Um, I think I don't, I, I'm used to playing at one or two. And so playing at three, I could definitely feel the difficulty was a little lower just because yeah. of the amount of people you have on the board. And also the fact that one, they're really good gamers. Like they're smart people. They picked it up really quickly. Um, and I was realizing just how powerful like Gilly and Tantrum are with their raw attack value. I think my buddy yeah. Matthew, his first item was the item that lets you ignore a single bones per training attempt. And so he got mm -hmm. all the way up to five attack really quickly and was literally just chopping things like Tantrum would do. Um, <laughs> And it was just really enjoyable. I think um, I kind of approached the teach in a way where I gave a, a general overview of the game of like, hey, here's what we're we're going to be doing. We're going on an adventure. We're going to be going through these encounters day by day. Yep. And then I tried to explain like the basics of a gear lock and what you will be doing as the player. And then let uh, let my buddy Andrew, you know, he read through Gilly was like, this is who I want to play. So it gave him some time to read through that, ask me some questions. And then we really just took it day by day. And I explained like the baddies and other things like that as they came up. Um, and it was definitely helpful to be able to take it in that kind of an instance method. Like I, I don't think you need to explain everything that existed to any bones when you're teaching this game. You really just want to say, Hey, here's what you can do. Try to pick maybe one or two things. Here's this nice little beginner strat guide. If you want some direction. Uh, but other than that, we're just going to take it as a cooperative game. We're going to work together and go day by day. And I had a blast. I think Andrew really enjoyed it. Matthew said it was the favorite of his plays. He said it's going up in his his estimations. His biggest nice. complaint, honestly, was the difficulty. He said, I'd like to try maybe the um, the Rage of Tyranny, the harder version of, of the Tyrants. Um, and I know Molmesh isn't anything necessarily too difficult. No, but um, it was interesting. We had a couple encounters on our way that had it. So we fought a 20 point and like a one point instead yeah. of one of those combats where we were going to be facing multiple five points early on. Yes. And since they had so much attack power, we literally one shot the it was like the corrosive worm, the one that does poison against everyone and corrosive, which isn't the most offensively intimidating and like they stacked the minus attack debuff. So it got like minus three attack and it was like so. I feel like we had good strategy and some some good luck to get some easier encounters. Like I've had some 
really rough encounters with the five point baddies. And so yeah, um, I think the difficulty maybe was a little deceptive. I feel like it was maybe some easier, easier encounters that we got pulled out. But um, also there were all good, good at games. So I'm not, you know, if you really sit and strategize and think, you know, you can do pretty well. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, but like for a first play and I'll, I'm going to call that Matthew's like first real play. Um, yeah. It, like you almost kind of want that like to just like here is the game and you get to experience it you don't want like the frustrating like oh we lost this encounter we don't gain any skill points and we have to you know continue the day counter Mm -hmm. so that it's like the difficulty is increased and we didn't level up at all so like i think that's actually good for uh, a first play and you know difficulty i mean that's easy that like that's super easy to adjust uh, i mean swap out moments for like genfix or something and this oh, is a man. whole another ball game um i don't know if you started on like adventure mode or like dip, like what did, did you start where like, everybody gained a skill point and a health chip at the beginning maybe yeah or? that's that's where i usually play just because yeah. i think you want to be doing that anyways and mm-hmm. it's not necessarily mm-hmm. exciting to say hey i'm gonna spend my first turning point in health right yeah. i was playing carcass yeah. i don't know if i mentioned that um so that was fun to also kind of learn and play a new new gear lock. Although yeah. he was kind of challenging to me, man. I feel like I was not understanding him until mm-hmm. um, kind of the end because you yes. have to you have to kill baddies to get meat hooks, and then you have to spend baddies from your meat hooks on almost all of your skills. But mm-hmm. then if you're spending baddies from your meat hooks, you're not cooking recipes with them. So yes. it's just like, how in the world am I getting more? baddies and and i think i i was slowly getting around to understanding there's some skills that let you you know do that during a battle etc but with my party mates just one shotting everything i wasn't getting a lot of kills but uh, what i ended up really going for was the hunger strike ability i thought this was a really unique one i don't know if you uh, remember this off the top of your head but carcass basically rolls a dice and does a base one or two damage Uh, he does have one side that has a bones plus the difference between his max health Mm -hmm. and current health so I started just pumping my health stat. And then last turn of the game, my buddy Matthew was the one who got the final shot on Molmesh. But we had Mark Target to double the damage from Gilly. Yeah. And I was at one health and I had a max health of eight. And I rolled, I, just for fun, I rolled to see how much damage I would have done. And I would have done like 23 damage in one attack between Jeez. my attack dice and Mark Target doubling it. So um, he could definitely pop out some damage that's for sure but interested yeah. to play him more i think he would benefit from a longer encounter and and really understanding how yeah his game pattern works and mm-hmm. trying to explain that to your teammates as well and mm-hmm. say hey maybe we can take an extra damage here if i can get some things going here it's going to help me out a lot mm-hmm. um so just mm-hmm. just some things to know moving into another play yep yep carcass is great uh, i've only played him twice and uh definitely the second play understood a lot more of what i should be doing and also agree that it does like it takes a little bit longer to get going uh because you're balancing mm-hmm. both your recipes and you're balancing having um uh baddies on your on your player mat so uh, but i think carcass is great and you got mm-hmm. to play with those brass mags they looked gorgeous i have not oh, secured dude. mine but i threw a picture so on our on our instagram story um just at the very end, because I think they added a whole lot. Matthew said he really enjoyed playing with them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the production in this game is already great, but it just does add a little bit more character. Uh, one of our friends' biggest complaints about Too Many Bones, or the reason he's never tried it, um, is that he he doesn't love that everything's kind of flat. You know, all of the 
they're all chips. It's all very kind of like one dimensional or two dimensional. If you, you think of it that way, where he loves big miniatures games and loves to see all the detail and other things like that. I would argue that too many bones is, is a beautiful production, just kind of in a different way. It's very mm-hmm. quality. It doesn't have the big towering miniatures uh, until now. Um, and let me tell you, some of those, some of those miniatures are pretty, pretty juicy and really enjoyed having those just to bring some character to mm-hmm. it, right? You're not just a chip. You've got, you know, this miniature that really helps kind of bring some, some fun and joy. Could you imagine if they came out with a, a tyrant miniature pack? I think, I feel like they've teased that, you know, <laughs> as a possibility. Um, <laughs> if they do that, absolutely. I would, oh I would pick my that God. up. I um, would pee my pants. It would be a little less useful than the the brass mags if you think about it because the tyrant battle is only you know five ten percent of your game but i mean matthew was saying i was telling matthew that they're done with their content for too many bones and he's like that that can't be because if they put anything out there's so many people that are obligated to buy it right like you don't have everything for too many bones and not buy whatever they come out then i said they've said they're done with expansion content i know too many bones 2.0 is is somewhere in the near future i'd imagine they're focused on Elder Scrolls uh, right now, which is still a game I'm kicking myself for not backing, David. Um, we'll see if I pick it up when it gets to retail. It was more of just like a, a time constraint thing for me, but um, definitely excited to see where that one goes. And then I think, you know, it'd be cool if they learn, you know, from Too Many Bones and maybe a little bit from Elder Scrolls to come back with a revised edition in a couple of years. Who knows? Yeah. If uh, Chip Theory Games, if you're listening to this at all, uh, Tyrant Brass Mags make them slightly bigger so that you got these little gear locks up against the old tyrant and then they just one shot them you can just topple them over oh come on now come on man my money is ready take my shut up and take my money you know that's right yeah that's great well i'm glad you got to teach too many bones and spread the love yeah man uh that is that game that we love so much converting some people i'm excited for matthew to now pick up his own trope chest and uh, exactly exactly yeah you know so it'll be it'll be great it'll be great so all right i also i did get to uh to break out the modular play mats as well um and i thought those were i've I've used those myself but just for other people too i think it's something like that is really helpful when you're playing with new people because it just does a very you know couple simple things like shows you that you can have four loot and it gives you a little spot to put him gives you a place to put your exhausted dice your attack and defense dice that you're using where your you know your character dice got i I don't know i felt that very helpful to organize mainly the kind of uh map board the combat board or the battle mat and some of the baddie piles and things like that but also for the players it was nice to kind of have that set up i only have two so i let matthew and andrew use them but um i do think those are really really good kind of upgrade purchase uh, to help keep me organized so nice nice well i'm i finally got my ba- uh, my downstairs bathroom done i've cleaned our, our downstairs and i have that desk that i have um down there for gaming i have it now available again um so i can finally set up too many bones and not have to worry about like table space or anything uh being occupied so i will this your recent play now has got me wanting to to play again and uh, oh, yeah. So I need to do that and maybe start dipping into um, Age of Tyranny and Rage of Tyranny. I organized my trove chest and I was like, oh, I got everything. And then I look up at the very top and I realized the chips for Rage of Tyranny, or yeah, Rage of Tyranny, forty caves and forty waves are still in their little boxes. And I just like shook my fist and I said, No! Like I thought I had organized everything. And so yeah, um, one thing that was interesting, I uh, and maybe I didn't realize this, but 
I mixed all of the baddies from the expansions together by their type, like the way I have them sorted. And um, two things that I noticed with mixing the expansion. So one was I pulled out a baddie. It was a bog baddie, but it had like flame soak on it. And I was just playing oh. the base mat. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to skip this one and pull a different one as opposed to having a baddie with useless abilities in the combat. Um, so I didn't realize that. But also there was an encounter in Rage of Tyranny in the one, two, and three, you know, the beginning encounters that had to do with like the Kreln. And I was like, I didn't think this would be in the base game Rage of Tyranny because you don't fight crown on the base mat. So two interesting yeah. things I noticed, and maybe I had it missorted. I don't think there would be a misprint, but I was surprised. So I just like pulled a new encounter out of a box and, and use that one instead. But nice. A lot of content when you mix it all <laughs> together. You're like, I don't really know like the loot piles, right? Like, I don't really know what's going to come up. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's sure. a lot, a lot to keep up with, a lot to keep up with. So, and you know what else, you know what else we keep up with is ranking our games and staying oh, up to David. date. Because we're huge nerds like that. So, uh, John, unless you've got something else that you want to uh, discuss, shall we, without further ado, jump into our top 50 games of all time? Uh, listen, y'all, like there are not, uh, there are not 50 game, there are not any other games that are better than these. These are definitively the best 50 games. Objectively. Objectively, exactly, exactly. So, uh, John, I think uh, I don't know how you want to do this, but uh, I can go first, or you can go first. However, you want to, uh, however you want to tackle it. I'll go first, and maybe we just alternate, uh, pick by pick. We'll go starting at fifty down to forty-one today, and then we'll yep. pick up from forty uh, down to the next on the next episode. But um, David, I am excited to kick off this list. Um, I thought maybe just philosophies when you're ranking your games, or maybe how you did your list before you give your first pick. I used uh, Pub Meeple. Um, as kind of an initial tool to get a ranking. And I threw every game that I've played into Pub Meeple and spent a little bit of time uh, making all these comparisons. So I've actually got like a list of 200-something games, um, ranging from games that I strongly dislike to my very favorites. And uh, when I was doing my ranking, these are really, in my mind, the games that I personally like the most, the games that I most want to play Yes, there's some some recency bias in it in terms of like most want to play right now. Um, so it's not necessarily an objective rating of the quality of the game, but it's going to be more tied to, hey, like these are the games that I most want to play and or think about the most or get the most excited about, um, which I think is a pretty common way to do it. I know some people try to build the perfect collection. If I were to only have 50 games in my collection, I'd want it to be these 50. Um, I didn't think about anything like that. But um, curious, uh, how did you approach doing your rankings yeah i did the um I, I i did not throw all of my games because that i've ever played i didn't i didn't find that very useful um because the games that i've anything that i've ranked below a seven um i don't particularly care about so i did all of my games that i ranked seven and above uh, which was still uh, a little over 100 games and then once i ran that through pub meeple i did then some little a fine tuning because uh, sometimes yeah. Pub Meeple does some weird comparisons, and you gotta, and you're like, Pub Meeple's trying to tell you that your number one game sits at like number fifteen. You're like, mm, right? No, that's not that's not right. That's not right. So we gotta, yeah. you know, sometimes the nostalgia or the uh, the sentimental factor has to sure. weigh into consideration. So that is kind of yeah. how I did. Um, that is how I did my my top fifty. And and some games, honestly, like I have games that I think are better games 
that are still lower ranked. Like I have games that's like game A is definitely better than game B, but for whatever reason, game B speaks to me more. Hence it is higher. Yeah, absolutely. I ranked all my games really just so I could put Jekyll and Hyde at 278th um, (laughs) and send that to you all. So um, without further ado, though, let's jump into my rankings at number 50. Um, I have a very simple and lightweight game um, that brought one of the funniest moments in our our board game group history. This is going to be Liar's Dice. So this is a great, I would call it party game um, for you to play bluffing game. Um, And really the first time I've played this in recent years, I played this when I was, you know, younger in, in my teens, et cetera, with some family. But we had just got an Ankh, Gods of Egypt, in um, from the Eric Lang trilogy. And we played, you know, this is a game that we had really anticipated. And we played it at five. And the play was really hit or miss, I'd say. Some people really dragged, really, you know, had some maybe unmet expectations. So there was some frustration. Uh, so Brady goes out to his car and says, hey, guys, I've got a game we can play after this short little filler. Uh, and brings in Liar's Dice. And we're sitting there. We start playing Liar's Dice. We're laughing. And Matthew, who is the one who spent, who knows, 400-something dollars on Ankh, looks up at, at the table and says, guys, this is the most fun I've had all morning. And, and it just caused a lot of laughter because Liar's Dice is just a simple, fun, you can play with anyone bluffing game where um, there is obviously a lot of luck because it's dice-based. But there's some good strategy to how you want to bid, how you want to call, how you're applying pressure to people um it uh has actually risen in my estimations i was a little bit of a liar stice hater for a little bit mainly because our group was you know really talking about it and playing it a lot um as a filler and i always felt like i got unlucky uh in it and at the end of the day i just kind of learned to embrace the craziness uh of the game and the the luck the swinginess and just enjoy the the time get into the idea of like call them out you know or or this is absolutely like there's absolutely you know seven ones at the table which there clearly aren't but you know um this is risen in my estimations i think it's just a great filler great party game always bring some laughs um, especially if you can kind of get into uh the game a little bit more yeah i like uh i like liar's dice quite a bit didn't make my top 50 but there's a variant that i would like to try um where if someone challenges you you take your dice you remove one and then you re-roll your dice and then see if like your claim ends up where it's at like because you could be bluffing but then like if it does uh so that is a variant that i would like to like to try at some point but i I do love i do love liar's dice it's a it's a it's a goodie Oh, yeah. All right, so uh, coming in at my number fifty, a game that another game we've both played is Fugitive. Fugitive mm-hmm. is one of the first games that I played coming into the hobby. I went on to Board Game Geek and not sure how I stumbled upon it, um, but the art just like really did something for me. That Ryan Goldberry Goldberry art, very unique, and it is a two-player hidden movement game basically with just cards and it works so well it tells a very fun story about uh some guy who's on the run and uh an agent who's after him 
And if you can just like somehow manage to, to, to make it work, there's some mind games that happen. And like just over the course of the game, the options are dwindling, 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 dwindling. So eventually, you know, it's, it always comes down to the last turn or two. And uh, if the agent can guess, you know, where you are. So my wife is a lot better at this game than I am. Uh, but I still have a lot of fun playing uh, Fugitive. I have the old edition. I'd like to get maybe get the new edition and try out the uh, shift system that they have in, in that one. So yeah, Fugitive. Great game. Yeah, I really enjoy Fugitive. I got to play this recently um, with my buddy Jacob. And it is just a, a very simple, straightforward deduction slash hidden movement game. I find the Marshall player to be a little bit more enjoyable than the Fugitive. But we were talking about this yesterday with some friends. And I said that. And then Brady was like, oh, psh, the Fugitive every day. So, you know, everyone kind of has their own, you know, right. role that they like a little bit more. Um, and it's a fantastic game. We got to meet Tim Fowers, too, at PAX. Um or at least I did. At least he's a very nice guy. Got to talk to him too. So great pick. Yeah, it, it uh, Fugitive features my favorite card art in all of board games, and uh, that is the one with the uh, the the agent grabbing the waitress by a shirt or whatever and pointing at a stack of pancakes. And so you just imagine like who, where, who ate these pancakes? Where was the guy that was eating these pancakes? Better than right the here? the Corvid planners with the derpy derpy crow. Yeah, well, no, 100. I, mean, I love the Derpy Crow, but like, I think just pointing at a stack of pancakes and just, right. you know, because the waitress it does just have like, great art. Yeah, the waitress, like, hey, cute guy eating pancakes. But then the agent comes mm-hmm. in and is like, where's this, where's this piece of trash who is eating these pancakes? She's like, oh my gosh, I don't know. I just work here. So, you know, that sort of thing. So. <laughs> I just work here. That's great. All right. Uh, number 49 um, is definitely here partially because it's got a special place in my heart. So, David, I know we've talked a little bit about our origin stories within uh, board games. So I uh, always played games growing up and not just the Monopolies, but I played, you know, Dominion and Catan and a few other kind of entry level games, some other games that I might talk about in uh, some deep cuts in a, in a little bit, maybe next episode. Um, but when I moved to Johnson City, I got relocated for work. Um, made some friends. This guy invited me over for board games and was like, hey, I'm playing some board games down at my house. Feel free to come over. I just met him the same day. Um, and I was like, might as well. And I walk in and set up on the table is this game called Champions of Midgard. So that is my number 49. Champions of Midgard is a very, very fun kind of dice worker placement game. Uh, or not dice worker placement, but worker placement that utilizes a lot of dice um, for kind of this Viking theme of you're building up your army and then you're going to go out, sail out and kill some monsters. And when your guys die, you get special tokens in one of the expansion that you can use to get special point scoring cards or abilities and powers. Um, I'd say this is a, a light to midweight uh, kind of euro game um but i love the theme this game will always have a special place in my heart because it was really what reintroduced me to what modern board games are like and i remember the next week we played blood rage uh which is even higher in my uh list for sure but champions in midgard especially with the expansions i would say the valhalla expansion is a a necessity i would say um it's just fun it's just good old you know, you get your dice, all of the warriors that you can get, the different types are different dice. And then the pips that are on said dice actually really matter to how combat plays out because sometimes monsters will have weaknesses or resistances. Um, so you have to make sure you're using those effectively building, um, you know, your clan up uh, the way it needs to go. So this introduced me to the idea of asymmetric player powers and all that kind of stuff, some new kind of modern staples of board games. Uh, so really love Champions of Midgard. I still think it's enjoyable, maybe a little light for 
what our group would typically play. But I still think if I if I said, hey, would y'all play this? People would be willing to because it is kind of that kind of comfort food type uh, type level of game where we could knock it out pretty quickly. Everyone's familiar with it. So have you played Champions of Midgard? Yeah, no, I haven't. Uh, I haven't played this one. And uh, I think what it is, like there's like champions and there's reavers and then there's like another thing. And so lots of like of Midgard stuff floating around there. So I'm not sure like which is the best one. Have you played reavers at all? I have not, but I've heard good things about it. Okay, yeah. So no, I've I've not uh, not played it, but uh, maybe one I would wouldn't mind wouldn't mind playing if uh, someone brought it along because I do like the Viking theme. It's nice. Absolutely. All right, coming in at my number forty nine is Arboretum. Have you played Arboretum? I have not played Arboretum. I've seen it. I think it's in uh, Target, actually, if I if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, but I've not gotten the chance to play it. Man, Arboretum is so good. Like it is. The theme is kind of whatever, uh, but it is so tense because it does this amazing thing, John, where you are holding cards for dear life, knowing that the minute you put them in any discard pile, your opponent's like, yep, that's the exact card I was waiting for. And then you feel like you've just given them a thousand points. Uh, Arboretum is so good because it does this thing where you can draw either from the main deck, you can draw back from your discard pile, or you can draw from your opponent's discard pile. And you both can see exactly what suits you're trying to build up in. And so there's just this tension because you always Mm -hmm. have to lay down a card, uh, like throughout any any time of your turn you always have to lay down the card it's just a matter of which one you lay down and um yeah it is just arboretum is, is so good it is such a uh it plays up to four i've never played i've only ever played it at two and it works just great uh and yeah wonderful yeah wonderful wonderful game um my wife and i've played this and i think last time we played it came down to um like two tiebreakers and then the third tiebreaker was like whoever most recently took care of a plant and she's the plant person and so she got to win on 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 that tiebreaker oh, yeah. um it's a yeah phenomenal game love Thematic. love love arboretum that's awesome all right well my number 48 is a big beefy uh campaign game uh this is going to be oath sworn into the deep woods so this is a game that um our group had been waiting on for a while, quite a long and extended uh, Kickstarter delivery, but um, finally came in, I think, early last year, mid last year. Um, and we've got quite a few plays. I think we've got uh, close to eight sessions of this in, um, and we're not you know, even halfway through the story. We've been on a bit of a hiatus from some campaign games the last six months or so uh, as things have gotten a little busy. But um, Oswarn is uh, like, to the likes of uh, Gloomhaven, a kind of a big sprawling campaign game where you've got unique characters that um, you as the player are going to control. Um, you've got your team of four people that you're going through the adventure with. Big things about Oswarn that I love, it, they have a really kind of cool two-phased system. So there's kind of like the story section and then there's the combat session, which a lot of games do. But um, the decisions you make within the story session really do have an impact both in the way that the combat gets triggered But there's also this cool kind of time track. So as you're interacting with things in the story session, you're putting these little time counters out onto a track. And then kind of the earlier you can maybe solve the puzzle in the story section, if we want to call it that, the more benefits you might get in the combat section. So maybe if you do it quick enough, you get an extra loot card from the the boss's super, you know, kind of rare loot pool, or you'll get a buff or some extra dice or something like that. Um, and then the story in this game is is the real, I think, a winner. 
the combat system is pretty novel. It's exciting. Um, I like the way that there's kind of this battle flow mechanism, but uh, I've played plenty of games where there's, you know, big combat or, or different things like that. So really the story is what's pulled me into this one and set it above others. I think I rate this higher than Gloomhaven now. I'd have to double check um, really just because I think that there's a lot more story and depth that the game offers. Um, obviously the combat strategic, it's fun. Um, but the real, I think the enjoyable part is listening to the voice acting and listening to the story decisions um, and seeing how that plays out throughout the course of the rest of your game. So my 48 is Osworn into the deep wood. This one was one that I was so close to just pulling the trigger on so many times. And I just, I know I didn't have the group for it. Um, I, I do now, but also arcs is going to be coming in in sometime in the next few months. I just like, I, I want to play this so bad, but I, I know I should not buy this, but it looks awesome. The giant rat with the little baby. Uh, my, rats. Cr- yeah. Oh yeah. My father-in-law bought this and has played through the entire thing now with his wife and has only raved about how good it is. So it's made me want to get it back to the table um, sometime soon. We'll see um, when that can happen. Yeah. And like Brady does a great job painting it up too. So like that also looks awesome. Yeah, that helps. Everything's painted from the smallest of mobs to the big monsters to your character. So Brady's done a fantastic job doing that. Yeah, definitely. All right. Uh, number 48 for me is my first Reiner Knizia game on the list, and that is Battle Line. This is a, um, I guess what you call a, a, a lane battling game, or just something where there's multiple lanes and both okay. players are trying to take majority over uh, different sides, and once a, a, a lane has been taken majority of, it's locked out. And so uh, the game is wonderful. It's tense. It's It's another one where you're just holding back cards, waiting for the right time to play it. But on your turn, you have to play a card. And it's just a painful decision because sometimes you just got to be like, all right, I'm going to play this and just hopefully they can't respond. Um, yeah, Battle Line is one I, I played this year for the first time and loved, loved, loved the experience so much so that it already shot up into uh, my top 50. It is a two-player game that I recommend um, to anyone. And uh, it, is just not my, it is not my highest Kinitsia card slash lane battling area majority type uh game that'll come a lot <laughs> later but um for now first battle line many. yeah first of many yeah that's right that's the first of many so yeah love battle line uh john i think brady has a copy so if you're looking to play this i i would highly recommend okay. you you getting a play of this yeah i've uh i've wanted to i've heard great things it's a it's a classic for sure um, but haven't had the chance to play but i'll have to do so on your recommendation all right. My number 47 is a game that despite its cover art in a regular box size, I still think is a home run. And this is going to be Concordia. So um, Concordia, or I think you like Concordia Venus. I don't know what the big difference is between that. I've always just played what Brady's put in front of me. So I couldn't tell you which versions I've played, to be honest. <laughs> um, I love Concordia's uh, card-based system where you're playing your cards out for different actions and they've kind of got a couple different uses. Um, there's some cool kind of shared infrastructure on the board where you're putting your different buildings out and maybe preventing people or making it more expensive for people to go to certain locations. You're trying to um, you know, have different majorities so that when certain scoring phases trigger um, and or these resource generations that you can do based on your presence in a given area, um, it's just a really solid game. I love the timing of it based on that card deck where you're churning through 
these different cards. And uh, once you get to the end of that deck, the game ends or uh, there's a secondary end trigger as well. Um, this is a game that the first time I played it, we played it quite wrong um, and it, it changed the game to play it correctly. So the, the big rule we were getting wrong is that um, for paying to build in certain areas, um, we were using the the cost outlines where it says, you know, the resource and money. We were saying if you have the resource, you can just pay the resource. If you have the money, you can just pay the money, not both. So there's kind of this really weird way where the resources were overvalued in what they could bring you because we were basically saying, yeah, you can get around having to pay money to build in certain areas. So um, fixing that definitely made the game a lot tighter. Um, and I've played it a couple times there. I really love the team variant in Concordia as well. But I know this one's on your list. I don't know where, so I don't want to spoil anything. Um, but I really enjoy Concordia just as a really solid Euro game. Yeah, man. Concordia rips super hard. It's so good. Love it. I can't believe that despite Brady's major rules with, I mean, just uh, one of the worst rules mistakes I've seen in a long, I'm, I'm over exaggerating, but like, despite that still mm-hmm. love the system. Like for me still, it is the hand management game. Um, as far as Euro games are concerned, yeah. love Concordia so much. Great, great, great pick. And yes, you just have the been- tension of like, I'm going to keep the card in hand that lets me copy someone else's card until they play their, you know, what's it called? The build card. And then everyone else is sitting around like, oh, well, this person still has their copy card. So I don't want to play this card yet because then they're going to get to you. It's just like there's so much good tension. And then you're able to pick up more cards from the market and, mm-hmm. you know, organize your deck and decide when you're going to pick <clears throat> all your cards up and go again. Right. I think it's just a very, very clever system. It is. Yeah. It's insanely clever. The different maps. I love I love when there's like a game system and then you can apply it to different maps and like that is one of my favorite things in in all of board games is like different map packs and whatnot so i have a few of them and yes you have played with venus i believe that is like venus does a few uh, different things um i won't go into details but i like i think that's also like that's my preferred way to play it is brady's i'm almost positive brady's preferred way to play the salsa expansion is also awesome i love the forum tiles because they give you like some uh personal player powers um so yeah great great game concordia um all right my number 47 is a fantastic little auction game and that is for sale for sale is one of those games that i introduced to people to non-gamers when they like hey what are some board games like i think hey i bet you would really love for sale because everybody understands buying low and selling high everybody understands that and i just love the the hilarity of you know in one game you can sell your outhouse for like eight grand and then in another in another game you've got a mansion and you only made two you know 2k out of it so uh just for sale is a wonderful where Mm -hmm. it's got two halves of the game like the game is split up into like two different uh halves um the acquisition of property half and then the other half of actually selling the properties i love when games uh, have that kind of like two-part system for sale is is wonderful and and a game that i think every time i introduce it um whoever i play it with that's not played it they like end up picking a copy up because it's cheap and they're like oh my family would love this so yeah for sale yeah I have not played this one, but uh, based on your recommendation, we'll have to maybe get that what? in sometime. Uh, You've not played I do for like sale? Kind of, what? I, I, no, it's on BG, BGA. 
So maybe we'll have to play a game, but it sounds like one that would be more fun in person versus yeah, over one, online. 100%. But, yeah, this uh, is... You correct um, me if I'm wrong I would, Yeah, I would recommend, like, prior to game night, uh, just, like, a quick... Like, or I guess maybe after you guys get in, like, your whatever your beefy game is in for the night, request, like, it takes all of 10 minutes. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder if anyone has a copy. Hopefully. All right. Um, my 46 um, is a game I've only played a few times, but I know this is one that... I really enjoy and I'm just continuing to want to play it more age of steam. So this is a game, David, that you brought to town uh, one week and we got a couple plays in. This is a very hefty uh, kind of route building um, game where you are building out your train routes. You're trying to connect different depots to deliver goods, um, but you're doing all of that while trying to manage your money make sure you can buy uh, enough you know, stock and pay your, your dividends out so that you don't go bankrupt, but you also want to save money so that you can uh, you know, bid for turn order, bid for special you know, improved actions of um, the board. So I really enjoy Age of Steam, uh, mainly for that kind of bidding at the beginning of each round where it's so tight, it's so tense, you're saying, All right, how much money am I willing to give to get to first player because I know that me and David are competing for this one type of good. And if I go first, I can yoink, you know, yoink it from him, generate a lot of income, move my stock up, etc. And then, but if I spend a lot of money on the turn order, then I might not have, you know, enough to pay my dividends at the end of the round. And if you can't pay, you have to drop your price and then eventually you could go bankrupt. Um, and then you also have these really cool, you know, bonus abilities that during each phase of the game, one player is going to get like an extra um, ability during that phase. I just think it's a very clever system. Again, talking about Concordia's kind of game system with a lot of maps. This is maybe one of the biggest games that you have the system and people. I mean, there's a lot of official maps from Eagle Griffin. And then there are hun- I mean, probably hundreds uh, to not even exaggerate of fan made maps. I mean, you could go to the moon, you could do whatever you wanted. And I think even the moon one might even be an official map. Um, but there's so much content for this game. It's hefty. I think it's by Martin Wallace as well, who's one of our uh, favorite designers for for some of his other games. Um, this is one that our group has not played a ton, mainly because we didn't have a copy. Um, Jacob just picked one up at PAX. So I'm excited to get this played again. Um, and and I'm hoping that we can make it a regular in the rotation. Yeah, this is one I think that um, maybe upon first play, some people might bounce off of, but with repeat play, ah, oh, it's so good. Um, I will mm-hmm. I will refrain from commenting because it may show up higher on uh, my Let's list. So we'll see. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, but great pick, John. I couldn't, uh, Jacob. If you're listening to this, please get this played asap. Like, all right, the game night is. Play Age of Steam, and then once everyone's done being pissed off at each other, lighten the load, you know, lighten the mood with some for sale. I think that is the that go. is the the game the game night there. Oh. So, all right, my number forty six is Tigris and Euphrates. For many, they consider this uh, Doctor Kinesia's magnum opus, their favorite game. For many people, uh, Tigris and Euphrates. I love this game. It is one that I've only played once in person and then many times on bga which is why it's a little bit lower and some people are like oh my gosh how could you rank that so low uh for many people this is like their number one game and i think they they would say is the perfect game uh, it's got a lot going for it um but i all i will say about tigris is that it's like it's a very weird game to teach to understand uh but once you do it is amazing the 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 tile 
laying the area majority, the uh, swings in, in the shifts in power. Um, a very abstract game, but I think for what it does, like I, I can see why so many people love the game. I love the, the player driven, um, how do you say like end game? Like there's not a fixed number of rounds players determine when the game will end. And sometimes when you feel like you're ahead, you can push that end game because you know, if you give everybody else another round, you'll probably lose. And this is the mechanism that, um, so throughout the game, you can score points in red and blue and black and green, but it's on, but you only score your lowest of yep. those four categories. And mm-hmm. so I might see like John's really up ahead and he's got, he's got eight red, but he's only got two black. So I shouldn't, I'm not, I'm not too worried about him, but then what do you know? All of a sudden he declares battle and he forces me and Jacob first to fight in this battle. And once he does that, he sees me deplete all of my good tiles. And then he takes go takes over. And now he scores three more black points or like whatever the case might be. It's just so good. Like I just, yeah, I love, I love this game. Any, there've been other designers who've tried to do this. Like you score the lower of the two things that you've been trying mm-hmm. to keep up with the whole game. And just like it, it always comes short. It always falls short of Tigris Euphrates and other things that, that, that Reiner has done. Famously, it is Merchants of the Dark Road. That game is a trash and you guys pick on me for not even playing the game. I did play the game and, uh, but it, it does that lower of two scores. It just, it just yeah. doesn't do it as good. Doesn't do it as good. Tigris. This is, this is one that I've played, I think twice. Um, I just haven't given this one enough time to learn it. Um, I think this is maybe one of the more complex, simple games, right? Like it's one where the actual game, once you kind of grok it is pretty straightforward. There's obviously a depth of strategy, but it's just enough uniqueness that the teach isn't necessarily as straightforward as you'd want it to be. So definitely can see the quality in it. Um, the classic Reiner Knizia tile layer, you know, um, would like to play this more. I think Jacob's got a copy. All right. Um, halfway through my number 45 here is, um, a game that, uh, I talked about earlier, um, that created a funny moment with Liar's Dice. This is going to be Ankh gods of egypt this is part of the eric lang trilogy it's not my favorite game but it's not my least favorite in the trilogy uh slight spoilers there but um this is a game all about you know the egyptian mythos and you're playing as uh, gods from egyptian mythology your um you know kind of area control resource management um this game i think was polarizing in our group because a lot of people have strong feelings of other eric lang games and maybe went into it expecting it to be one thing to be surprised that it is really a more uh, efficiency kind of puzzle. How can I leverage this resource that is combat to push my strategy forward? I think the fact that the combat cards, quote unquote, half of them don't have to do with winning or losing the combat. It's more leveraging combat to do an action threw some people off too, but I really enjoy what the game is trying to accomplish. I enjoy the puzzle that it is. And then that, I mean, the miniatures are absolutely ridiculous. They're insane i'd still say to this day the best miniatures in a game that i've played um really enjoy Ankh. i've played it at high player counts i don't personally get bothered by the high player count complaint that you don't have as much control over the events i still think you can kind of predict where they're going to land and play around that um i have not played it at two which i've heard is a lot of people's preferred player count so want to play it at a lower player count uh, maybe i can talk matthew into doing that but um Ankh, gods of egypt uh classic Simon, big production lots of expansions i think this is a fantastic game yeah this is one i need to replay because 
that we played it at five and that was probably one of my least favorite gaming experiences i've ever had um all i'm going to say john is that rising sun better not be higher on your list because if it is your whole list is invalid like i we we and we don't need to keep as a matter of fact we should just go our separate ways of rising sun is, is higher. No, no spoilers okay well in any case Ankh. I think there is a a good game that is there. I would love to replay at like a three player count. I think that'd be good. I think just what's so so jarring is when whoever's like the lowest and they merge with like the second to lowest, all of their pieces get wiped from the map. And there's just something about like those were my pieces and now they're gone. And like you merge with the other player, but it really to me it felt like yeah these are your pieces like whatever you want to do like i don't want to tell you what to do with your pieces um so um yeah i i would like to read the only thing i'll say on the the hate on the merge mechanic is if everyone goes into it with the right mindset of this is something that will happen and i'm going to expect it if i'm in last place like i had a really electric play um with my in-laws and my my brother-in-law was in uh fourth place and i was in fifth or maybe we were playing with just four people i can't remember but him and i were going to merge and i was in the last place but i had set myself up pretty well and knew that our god powers kind of combined well too so him knowing that sent himself up as um sobek and he was kind of sitting right in the middle water tile so he was in all regions and we had this uber merged god where we had my god power and his in multiple combats in one and we literally in the last round shot up from last place to win the game by a single point or two points because we had merged and had Mm -hmm. the additional abilities Mm -hmm. and i i thought when you're planning for it it is a it is a good mechanic there but absolutely feels bad if the last player is like 10 points below everyone and they don't really care Uh, and that is what happens when you're playing with certain people in our game group that uh, you know, aren't doing well in a game, they just give up. And then that creates really, <laughs> really frustrating experiences when you're like, oh, well, I had a chance. Maybe I was only a point or two behind the next player, but now I've dropped down and I'm I'm playing for two people because this person's disengaged from the game because they're frustrated that they were losing in their big baby. So um, on definitely polarizing mechanics. You don't have to play with it. There's some scenarios without it, but um, I really enjoy the game. John, I am committed if we can convince uh, Brady and Jacob to play this this weekend, like I would, I would put this as like my number one or two pick to play this weekend um, because I, I want to revisit we'll only be, because here's the thing. A lot of people say Ankh is like, it's like if uh, Reiner Knizia and Eric Lang got together to make a game and like, there's a lot of, and I'm a big Knizia file over here. So like a lot of just, things, Oh yeah, you are. Yeah. Things that are, that had like the cam the way you can redraw the 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 borders on the map i think is is awesome love those little camels they're great uh so i think the the five player count just i i felt like i didn't have enough agency but again first play the very first play impressions and i'm very willing to say like ignore what i'm about to say because i've only played it once so and i didn't maybe have the right expectations going in so i would love to replay and uh jacob if you're listening yep. doesn't jacob have a copy uh no it's matthews oh well in any case it was stored at jacobs for quite a while no there there you go well i'm i'm committed john i'm committed to playing your number 45 game so um all right moving on here to my number 45 is first rat this is a uh, a Euro game. It is like a very um, on a, on the lighter end of things, but I just I love how charming this game is. This is the theme is rats 
look up at the moon and they see the giant wheel of cheese and they're like, how do we get there? And so it is rats running around a, a junkyard trying to scrounge together pieces and things to build a rocket to eventually make their way up to uh, the moon. And I think it's just like a very charming game. Uh, I love everything that is involved with like you get some unique player powers along the way. It's one of those like you can move forward X many spaces, but and you can't go backwards. So I just I love love that little aspect. So, yeah, first rat, just a super solid euro and that uh, really speaks to me. I will hold my comments because this might be higher up on my list. Shoo! All right. Sounds good. What's next, John? All right. Number 44 is a big, chunky Euro, uh, Marco Polo 2 in service of the con. This could be Marco Polo 1, 2. Um, sometimes we mix them together, play Marco mm-hmm. Polo Ultimate Edition. Um, just a absolute class uh, kind of dice worker placement game where you are traveling around uh, the region trying to put your little trading posts up so that you can get access to additional actions you're trying to um, leverage your resources to score as many points I mean it's just euro heavy euro goodness um, the thing that stands out to this in this game to me is just the absolutely ridiculous player powers um, that's everyone's kind of big favorite thing about these games um, you've got some really good asymmetric player powers that every time you're playing this game you look over at what you're opponents are doing you're like man that thing is broken it's so much better than mine and then the next game you could switch them and then see what they're doing with the power you just had and you're like man that power is broken and mine stinks you know sometimes uh, but then sometimes you obviously feel really powerful too i just enjoy this game it's the way that you have to pay to go somewhere uh, where someone else has gone um, is done in a way where you can always kind of do what you want to do but you really have to pay for it if people get there before you um i i just think it's a fantastic game yeah, I, I, so this is second Italian game in a row. So first rat was designed by Virginio Gigli or Gigli, and uh, this is Simone Luciani and I believe uh, Danielle Tassini. Uh, Marco Polo one and two, wonderful, wonderful games. Uh, really love them. Didn't didn't make my top fifty. Haven't played them in a while, um, but I I really love both of these both of these games and, and what they offer. So yeah, so it was good. great great pick all right i'm gonna keep keep the italian train going because we're gonna my number 44 is Zulkin, the mayan calendar designed Ooh. by simone luciani and daniele tassini uh oh my gosh what a game probably one of the most unique worker placement games um that are out there that that's out there just because you place your worker and then it's up to you to decide when you pull that worker back off those wheels and like i think Zulkin is great because it has this weird gear gimmick but it is a gimmick that works and not only does it work, but it's like very central to all the mechanisms that are going on within Zulkin. Um, I love this game so much. Um, I think the expansion really adds a lot of life um, to the game because it gives players uh, player powers that allow you to pursue different strategies um, than you do in the base game. And um, it is, yeah, one of my fondest memories is, uh, playing this game i think at five players and uh, there was a five of us and just trying to all work our way uh through it and um, really just yeah everybody was just so in tune with all the mechanisms that were going on with Tolkien. love 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 this game this game is also going to be uh on my list so we'll talk about it again in a future date and david could you believe if we had three games in a row by the same (laughs) designing pair um this is going to be a game that i know is higher up on your list the only reason this isn't higher on mine is i've only had the chance to play it twice but i would call this the ultimate dice drafting dice worker placement whatever you want to call it game 
uh, Grand Austria Hotel, also by Virginio Kigli and Simone Luciani. I know this is a favorite of yours, so uh, maybe save some additional commentary for when that pops up. But this game is just charming. I love, love the theme of this game. I love how you kind of roll those dice and assemble them out onto those actions. You can see what actions are going to be easier or harder to get how that drafting goes throughout the round. Um, and then just, oh, I love, I love the different characters, especially I think it might be an expansion that has some more like uh, celebrities or other things like that. I feel like I remember seeing some actual, you know, real or fictional characters, mm-hmm. uh, just very enjoyable, very pleasant game to play. Um, I think the playtime is also a huge plus. I don't think this one overstays its welcome, um, which is for me, a really important part of a good Euro game is the playtime. And I think this one you can play, Pretty quickly is also good at a lower player count, which sometimes is also difficult for your game. So lots of good things to say about Grand Austria Hotel, but I've got a feeling this will be um, up on uh, your list and we can talk about it a little bit more then. Yeah, all I can, I'll, I'll just comment on the playtime thing is that like my wife and I, we can play this in an hour and it's a lot of game yeah. in such a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, love Grand Austria and I will hold my tongue, but I, man, we got the Italians back uh, back to back to back to back so john would you believe that if we had four italian i'm joking no, don't, uh, no, okay. <laughs> all right all right my number my number 43 is a game that is new to the list new that i played this past year in 2023 and this is a game that i've exclusively played on board game arena and that is a card game wizards of the grimoire now yes um, this is one that I heard a lot about and I was like, all right, what's, what's all the hype? And just very quickly, just like, yeah, this game absolutely rocks. And it is just this, I, I love a lot that it's doing, but I think the main thing that I enjoy about Wizards of the Grimoire is that it's two players competing to whittle down each other's life and there's no way to heal. And so the tempo is always just go, go. Go. Go, go, go. And so if there were ways to like gain life back, I don't think like, I think the game would drag. I also, I love how like, in one game, you might be able to combo a card one way, but then in the next game, you take that same card and combo it with another card a different way. Um, I think the drafting is a lot of fun. I mean, out of a pool of 70 unique cards, you're only going to see, you know, you're only going to use maybe six to eight cards over the course of the game, and you're, you know, you're only going to see maybe like 12 or so uh, of them, or maybe a little bit more. But in any case, yeah, Wizards of the Grimoire, just fast-paced card dueling game that I think works really really well some people might say it's a little too balanced because the game always comes down to like you know one player has like three health points or six health points left and the other player has only like two left so you know whatever but in any case love this game love it all right david coming up next is going to be my most cult of the new game so you can you can call me out on this um because i've only played this game one time but in that play i know that this is a game that I will continue to enjoy and to play and explore. Um, And this is, as some of my friends uh, coined it, the John Company Killer. Um, David, you're going to be mad that I've uttered those words. This is going to be hegemony. Get out of here, Lead your class to victory. I would not say this is the John Company Killer. Um, I think it's it's a very different game than what that game is trying to do. I think Matthew and Brady are a little serious. They're trolls. joking when they say that. They're just trolls. but hegemony is, I would say, an only four-player game. I'd only want to play this at at the full player count. Asymmetric game about really just kind of the economy. You've got the working class, middle class, the capitalists, and the government all leveraging a shared infrastructure to try to score points in their own unique way 
manage and interact with other players at the table, giving them benefits, but hopefully getting more for themselves as any good, you know, capitalist would do um, to try to score the most points. It's it's a very fun kind of pseudo political game. You've got some voting phases, some things that will come out. I like this mechanic where each faction has their own kind of deck of action cards that they're drawing up. They have unique abilities. Um, and then all of the different um, factions need the other factions in the game, just like our own economy needs uh, needs it um, to survive. And I've, I think it's just a very fun, heavy, definitely heavy game that represents a lot of real world economics in a way that's cool to interact with in a game so hegemony only played it once so definitely call to the new you know this is probably my my most pick that i don't have the most backing to because i have only played it that one time but it was a fantastic play really enjoyed it i know you haven't played this one um but it's a it's a real good time yeah i mean i this is right up my alley i bet i would love this Uh, i love these type of like more real world kind of simulation type of you know Mm -hmm. deals um i really like to I get into that sort of thing. It to me, this strikes me more as like along the lines of root than it does John Company because you have four distinct yes. factions who work differently. So uh, mm-hmm. I know Matthew and Brady won't listen to this, but you can play this point. You can play this part out of it. You guys are absolutely ridiculous, and um, just like you know, I shouldn't be surprised at the number of silly comparisons that they make at this point. Uh, between games and uh, their lack of journalistic integrity. So I will say, uh, yeah, this is Harsh more words. like along the lines of Root than it is John Company, but I know they like to uh, get under my skin with that. So congrats, you you accomplished you accomplished it. So yeah, <laughs> Hegemony, I would love to play this game. It look, like, looks, looks awesome. Um, all right, my number 42 is another Kenizia game. We're just going to keep this train going. Every, every episode, you're going to hear about this man multiple times, this German dude who wears a bow tie and is a uh, PhD in, math- in mathematics. So uh, that is Babylonia. John, have you played Babylonia? I have. I have. Okay. I won the game I played too, actually. Hey, how, about, how, how about that? So yeah, Babylonia is a great game, another tiling game, a spiritual successor to uh, Samurai, which I also think is a phenomenal game. Uh, Babylonia, what it does, though, is um, it it does this thing where as you're laying tiles, uh, you get to score majorities around these cities. But the thing is, like every time you score cities, if you've already scored a city, you rescore them, like you you recount your points for the number of cities that you've already claimed, and so it just it's like a it snowballs, and so the players who uh, are most strategic and clever in their tile placement um, can really come up ahead. I love the player powers that you can acquire um, in this game. Yeah, Babylonia is just a phenomenal time. It plays well at two, plays well at three, plays great at four. Um, love this game so much, and um, looking forward to uh, showing some, introducing some more people to this game very abstract no theme typical kinesia in that fashion so there we go for sure all right the last game of our list today my number 41 uh, is a game that apparently is uh, is getting an unknown sequel uh that that has come out of the blue Uh, this is a game that i love to play with my wife it is what i would call uh, a mainstream classic now you can find it at your shelves at target barnes and nobles wherever Um, this is going to be the stonemaier game wingspan which was just announced to have a new sequel called Wormspan. <laughs> yeah. Not worms that the birds are going to eat, not to be confused with the food that's in Wingspan. This is about dragons, the new um, kind of sequel. Uh, but Wingspan, I think, is a very fun game. I know it's it's lighter. It's definitely propped up here based on both the Asia two-player version, which I think is very sharp, 
um, and a good iteration of base wingspan, but also the fact that my wife will play this game with me pretty much whenever I'd like to. So I know it's not the, the most hefty game out there um but hey you know even heavy gamers have to enjoy some um some lighter games every once in a while but this is a great one art is beautiful it's a fun you know combo buildy kind of engine building game um just played it over uh, the holidays with my wife really enjoyed it and uh, I, i've got a lot of great things to say about wingspan i don't know if i'm gonna be interested in this worm span at all the theme isn't really for me uh, mainly because i don't think my wife would care to play a game about dragons versus birds but um i don't know john tell the people what you what one word did you describe Wormspan as? Oh, I don't know. What did I say? Uh starts with mid. Oh, Middington. Yes. Yeah, this game is straight Middington, dog. Wormspan is Middington. Not Wingspan. Wingspan's great. Uh but Wormspan uh, come on. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't know who that's for. Like Yeah. The the dragon theme. Like the thing the like Wingspan is one of those rare games that like broke the mold broke out of the mold of the hobby gaming sphere and like just normal like normal people casual non-gamers like will have played wingspan and like might have a copy of wingspan in their home as a matter of fact multiple my friends have a copy of wingspan now Mm -hmm. um it's just it is good like this whole i love the whole thing of like you start out the game with eight action cubes and so you take eight actions your first round but by the end you only have five but your actions have been been so developed that each Mm -hmm. of those five actions are the equivalent more so than your eight actions that you took in the first round and and i love that tension of like all right last round i only have five actions and i need to make them count and um yeah i i really love wingspan i think it's a phenomenal game didn't i don't think it made my uh my top 50 um but i mean like it's one of those first games when i'm teaching you know, I'm introducing games to people new to the hobby. I'm like, hey, we, we should play Wingspan because it's one of those that's oh, like, yeah. oh, I didn't know games could do this. Like, I didn't know mm-hmm. you could have this much fun um, uh, uh, playing a board game. So, yeah, love love Wingspan. I think it's a, a fantastic, fantastic pick. So, all right. Absolutely. All right, to round out this episode, this list um, is the third Kenitsia game in this first 10 and that is one of my favorite auction games and that is high society john we played high society at pax unplugged this is a good one yeah i i love i mean and, and we only played at three i think it's even better at, at four and five i uh, would still love it at, at the different player accounts um, high society is a game where you are trying to acquire the most luxury goods and be the richest uh by points but prior to scoring your points before you ever get to the scoring phase Everybody shows how much money they have left in their hand, and whoever mm-hmm. is the poorest automatically is eliminated and does not get to uh, compete for points. So, doesn't matter how and rich it's so, you are. It's so thematic, yeah, David. Because in high society, it's like who's the fraud, right? Who's here that's yeah. bought all the nice stuff, but they didn't save any money afterwards, right? You can go buy a Lamborghini, but if you're in debt up to your ears and you got no capital to float around get out of get out of this high society you know yeah yeah you're not I, I one of us game. i think it's i think it's great it's very tense i think my favorite part and i'm stealing your uh, your part here i'm sorry i'm just no go for it about this the way that the money cards work where you cannot make change and you're forced to spend what you bid when you're first playing you don't realize how important that is but later on you're like if you've saved your one or your two Later on, you can snipe things where you're like, you put out this and the person's looking at, dang, the lowest card I have is my eight. Like, this isn't worth eight, but, uh, you know, or you can beat somebody by just that small bit. So I think the way that the money works in the game, fantastic as well. 
Yeah, and this is a game that I've introduced to lots of people. Uh, you can play with non-gamers and gamers alike, and it works just as fine uh, either way. I mean, there's definitely, you know, there's the, like, huge randomness in how the cards come out because as soon as the fourth green card comes out, game is over. And who's to say that you flip over one card, it's a luxury item, and then the next four cards are just greens back to back to back right. to back. Um, and so, you know, I mean, that, that can happen, highly unlikely, but still, nonetheless, it is, um, like, a just... You, you get it played in like 15, 15 minutes, it, but in, and it packs a lot of punch in that 15 minutes. I also love, you're not just auctioning for like things that you want. I love the mechanism of, hey, there are negative cards in this deck and you're auctioning to not get them. You're bidding to not, to not get them. them. And, and whoever takes it, they get their money back and you force everyone else. And so sometimes you play this little game of chicken, like, let me, I wonder if I can make this go around just one more time, get everybody to spend just a little bit more money or like, ugh, I, I can't, I can't take this right now because, like what am I going to take this and like make Jacob pay money, but then John doesn't have to pay anything. Let me, and so right. just like, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, um, a lot of good that comes out of high society and, and one of my favorite uh, bidding games, um, especially from right. Reiner Knizia. So yeah, that is my number 41. Awesome. Well, David, we have gone from 50 to 41, starting our top 50 games of all times. I know listeners, this isn't uh, just too many bones focus. You'll probably hear some conversation about that maybe on our last episode uh, of our top 50 list. We'll see. Um, but thanks for sticking around. We love to talk about games and hope you've enjoyed hearing some of our favorites. Um, David, if the people wanted to let us know what some of their favorite games were, give us their thoughts on their favorite Simone Luciani and Kenichi games, because clearly they're very prevalent in our list. Uh, where could they reach out to us? Yeah, they can reach out to us uh, via email at notenoughbones at gmail.com. You can also reach us on Instagram and Twitter, the same handle at notenoughbonespod and notenoughbones. Uh, please reach out to us. Let us know what you think about uh, this list and uh, any other thoughts on our Too Many Bones content. would love to hear uh, from you guys. So other than that, oh, we also want to say... A big thank you to our good friend Jonathan Allen Wright for our intro and outro uh, music. Please uh, go look him up uh, there on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you listen to uh, your music. But yeah, I think that'll do it for us. My name is David. Thank you guys for listening. We got John over here. Thank you guys for uh, taking time out of your day to spend a little bit of time with us. Uh, happy New Year. Oh, we never said that, John. We never said that. Happy, oh, happy New Year, happy New Year 2024. And we are so yeah, happy that we haven't been... recorded in over a year, man. <laughs> it's been since last year, hasn't it? All right. See y'all. Peace. Peace.